A lot of us are asking questions right now along the lines of, where is this going? What's going to come of this? Those are the kinds of questions that dominate our minds as we grimace through the greatest disruption that we've likely ever known. And those are the kinds of things that you would be asking if you've been following along with us this summer on the journey with Joseph, an ancient figure from the biblical book of Genesis, this long and winding and sometimes puzzling account of God's relationship with these human creatures that God made. What is going to come of this? Well, I'll give you one clue and tell you that today's episode is brought to you by the letter B. That's an old Sesame Street reference. I don't know if anybody knows. You know what that means? No. Yeah, all right. Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll get to more on that later. Here's the deal. We're all trying to figure out how to have a great life, right? right? I mean, that's as good a way as any to describe a desire that's basically universal. That's what we want. How's that going for you right now, by the way? No, some are fine, I'm sure. Many are not. Some industries are thriving. Many are not. Some people feel well-connected. Many are very lonely. Some have mastered new routines and discipline and have quarantine life all figured out. Lots of us don't. A few might be at ease, but many worry. All of us have seen the world change, and some of us have begun to adapt and even feel at home in the new world, while many of us are yet frustrated, exasperated, and begun to fear, what is the world coming to? In Joseph's story, to this point, meandering as it has been, there can be seen some good things, but many things are not. Uh, Let me help you catch up. Okay, so to start, Joseph, he gets a nice coat. Daddy gave it to him. Special gift for favored son. Ten older brothers? Not hip to that. Nor to his extravagant dreams. Them bowing down to him? No. They throw him down in a pit, take his coat, then sell him as a slave. Now, he finds favor with his master in Egypt, trusted with responsibility, proves loyal. His master's wife is not, however, tries to seduce him. He pulls away, she grabs a hold, and he loses another coat. More than that, loses his job and his freedom after being falsely accused and sentenced to prison. Now, on his way there, he saw a bumper sticker. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. No, I'm I'm kidding. But he he did do okay, though it was likely much grittier and painstaking and fraught with heartache. We witness that through God's faithfulness and his, Joseph, even there, is again vested with trust and authority, as great as that can be uh, in a dungeon. And then, after a while, there it is, his big break. He, He interprets a dream for one of the king's royal attendants. Yeah, this guy, he was in jail too. He was Pharaoh's cupbearer. Pharaoh got mad at him, threw him in jail. But then, great news for this guy, Joseph predicts, you're getting out of here. In three days, back to your old job, you and Pharaoh will be chums again in no time. Hey, remember me now. I mean, this this ain't fair, me being in here. I know mom would be so proud of me, you know, president of the prison and all, but this isn't exactly the great life that I had in mind. So tell Pharaoh about my situation. Don't forget now. And that's where we were last week. In the pit with Joseph, ready to get out of the pit with Joseph, until the scene ends with Genesis 40 and verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, when he got out, did not remember Joseph, he forgot him. Next chapter opens with, when two full years had passed. When Joseph watched the cupbearer walk out of prison free, with the potential to set him free, how long do you think he held out hope? 
because he had to be thinking, I mean, will this be my day? It might even be before nightfall. I mean, he had to be just waiting there on edge. Wouldn't you think, hearing the keys jingle, a torchlight flickering down the hallway, is that the captain of the guard coming down to his cell with news of his release? Oh, okay, wasn't day one. Probably will take a day. Give him some time. Not day two either. Okay, maybe the cupbearer. He's got to get resettled. Probably got a lot of work to catch up on. All right. Not day three either. Maybe he's started the process by now. Surely, surely tomorrow. Not day four. Well, there's the bureaucracy. He's probably slowing them, some things down. Surely my name's on a list somewhere. Not a week. Not a month. Not a year. I guess it's going to be a while. Interestingly, we've all had to grip a similar conclusion about COVID-19. I guess it's going to be a while. And where's it all going? What's going to come of this? Joseph had to be asking himself these questions as the lifeboat comes within inches of scooping him up and then sails right on by. What is going on? The Lord was with Joseph, the Bible says, year after year in slavery. The Lord was with Joseph year after year in the dungeon. And then this fortuitous encounter must be the Lord's doing. So you feel that this one man's ache. Some of us personally resonate strongly with his experience as the Bible zooms us in real close. But also recognize something else here. Okay, step back for a moment. We, we've talked about uh, the upper story and the lower story. The, the lower story being the stuff of our experience, all the things we observe happening around us. Then the upper story being the often imperceptible work that God is doing to achieve God's purposes. Now, uh, in, in both realms, we are at a crisis point in Genesis 41. Joseph's trouble fits within a larger framework of God's promises. That sounded boring, but get this now, okay? Th- this is Joseph's story, but it is also very much God's story. God is an actor in this drama from the beginning, speaking the world into existence, Genesis 1. Not detached, God takes interest in these creatures God made from the dirt. God loves them, they stiff-arm God. God trusts them, they abuse their position. Chaos ensues, Genesis 1-11. through Nevertheless, Genesis 12, God determines not to let things come completely undone, and he puts himself on the hook, makes a promise to Abram, Abraham, I will bless you and your family, and through your descendants, the whole world will be blessed. Goodness and life and shalom will be brought to the world because of you. And the rest of the Bible unfolds how God acts to keep this promise in this dance with stubborn humans to whom God is now committed. It's a comedy and a tragedy oftentimes. Case in point, the descendants of Abraham that are supposed to bring blessing are the messed up family of Joseph that Ben introduced on week one. They're deceitful and conniving and vicious and adulterous and fickle, and they sold their brother into slavery, telling their father he was dead. These are the people that God has chosen, made promises to them, but also through them. They're supposed to be a vehicle of blessing to others. Do you ever forget that that's what you're supposed to be? It is somehow so easy to forget. Me first. My way. I 
wants. I will do what I see fit. These are often the attitudes that we assume lead to a great life. However, in Genesis, these are the attitudes that only lead to ruin. If you read the book of Genesis, you'll you'll see so many times God designing things to flourish and give life and humans saying, no, we'll do it our own way and it leads to death. And you're like, what is going to come of this? Where is this going? The the upper story, the plot driven forward by God's own promises, what will become of it? By Genesis 41, God's in a real pickle. God's chosen family has forgotten their calling, choosing their own way, not blessing the world, but leaving loads of carnage in their wake. And the one time too big for his britches dreamer, who's been forgotten by his family and borne the brunt of all the suffering, is now sitting in jail unjustly for two more years, tested with the thought that maybe God has forgotten him too. Because just when it looked like there was hope, the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Where is this going? What's going to come of this? I heard uh, Hassan Minhaj, he was, he's joking, but also very serious, as he's apt to do. He, he was talking about how reading history is way easier than living through history. Uh, we all have this sense right now. We're like living through history. There's uh, such an intensity and distinctiveness to this moment that leads us to believe, oh, these aren't just regular days, but this stuff is going to be written about in history book. You think a history exam is hard, but this is a test of a whole different kind. Many of us think we want to have a great life that history will remember until we remember how hard it actually is. We realize that what the historical record sums up in a half sentence, when two full years had passed, Joseph had to gut out for 1,051,200 minutes. Both God's good plans and Joseph's great life are facing the challenges of living through history. And as people who have the benefit of thumbing through the story centuries after the fact, we get to discover how reading history gives us the strength to live through it. Genesis 41. You should get a Bible for this. Um, You're going to want to follow along, put it on your lap, and we're going to read about every verse of it. Genesis 41. Go ahead. Yep, just go, uh, go get your Bible. You bring it up on your phone, or if you're watching on your phone, get somebody else's phone. Get your Bible. Genesis 41. An improbable turn of events. After the full million plus minutes, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat. They grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again, and he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing up on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. All right, so we're in dream territory again. And and we realize this is Joseph's realm. Pharaoh doesn't know that, of course. He's just deeply troubled by these dreams that have woke him up. And so he calls for all the magicians and the wise men and the sages and the palm readers, whoever they got, to help him understand what it means. But none of them can. 
And that's when the camera shifts to the cupbearer who's like, oh, right, 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 right. I might know someone. Yeah, maybe he was put in jail the first time for his forgetfulness. I don't know. But this jogs his memory. And he tells the king about Joseph. And they finally do go get Joseph out of the dungeon, clean him up, and they bring him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. And none of these knuckleheads can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. A telling statement from Joseph. If anyone had reason to be cynical about God giving a person the answer they desire, it would have been Joseph. But as troubling and as winding and as painful as this journey has been, what we discover is that there are two actors in the drama that haven't forgotten their commitments or their identity, Joseph and God. Pharaoh says, all right, I'll play, tells Joseph his dreams. And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. And then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. This is going to happen soon. And this is where Joseph, he goes from guest dream interpreter to self-appointed royal political advisor. While he's got everyone's attention, he's just going to go ahead and give his opinion. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. He's saying this in the presence of all the wise men of Egypt who are there. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Joseph drops the mic and Pharaoh's like, sounds good to me. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And then Pharaoh took his ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And all the people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Oh, now he's got a great life. It's, it's like the American dream, the rags to riches, the prosperity gospel, wealth and fame and power, ah, and a new coat. He kept getting stripped of those. Now he's clothed with honor, fine linens, gold chains, special ring, Miss America away from the royal chariot, moving on up. Joseph's got a maiden shade. This is what it was all for. Jo- Joseph did this. Right? Down, 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 and then just when we thought he wasn't going to get out of the pit, comes up to the top, just like we were hoping for, for him and for us. Now, a couple things, okay? I, 
I'm being facetious. Right? Don't quote me on all that. Right? I'm, not, I'm not trying to minimize it. it. It's a great moment. And Joseph deserves a break. And nobody's happier than him, I'm sure. But understand, this is not the punchline. This is not a great life finally attained, roll the credits. And I point that out because I think that most of the plot lines that run through our heads, and when I say plot thing, plot lines, I mean like life paths, future trajectories that we would dream about, that, that we see play out over and over on screens, big and small, whether it's movie scripts or scenes we piece together from our friends' social media feed and their great life that we hope our lives would emulate. Those things that we imagine lead ultimately toward this place of esteem and status and wealth and fame. This is the great life toward which we are striving. That's the goal. Oh, and man, if, if, if we could get... God on our side to help us get there? Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I think a lot of us are conditioned to act like this is the punchline. This is the destination of a great life. And, and don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not that wealth and influence and fame are bad in themselves. They're just not ends in themselves. This is the middle of the Joseph story. Among the questions that have driven the drama forward to this point are, how will Joseph hold up through adversity? And similarly, with God, how will God's good plan gain any traction through all of these human failures and disappointments? And those questions might be very relevant for you in your life in the last four months. Will you make it through adversity? Will your faith endure through pain? Will you trust God in the dark? Will God shine some light into your life? Many of us are still wondering those things, still in the pit. And I hope Joseph's story so far has brought some encouragement. But also understand, even, even with this turn, Joseph's story is not over. The credits are not rolling. And if, and if your fortunes have changed, or when they do, that is not the end of your story. A great life is not faithful through suffering on the way to success. A great life is faithful through suffering and success, whatever comes. The questions from this point forward will be, will Joseph's faith endure through prosperity? Will God's plan find fulfillment through the blessings God has provided? Will Joseph be a faithful steward of God's blessing that are designed to spread to the many? Or will he, like so many others in Genesis, and like I have done more often than I'd care to admit, take the good things that have been put into my hands and just recirculate them for myself, for my own supposedly great life that I have built for me and my own kind? Do you ever forget that you're supposed to be a vehicle of blessing for others? Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and he stored it in the cities. Joseph stored up, stored up huge quantities of grain. It was like the sand of the seashore. It was so much, he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Azanah. 
Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim, and he said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The, the Count of Monte Cristo, I had to read that book in high school. Okay, it, it's a story of a man who escapes the dungeon after being wrongfully sent there for many years. And he gets out and then he builds this great life of, of wealth and fame. Same path as Joseph, uh, except not really. <laughs> he does not forget his past trouble. He does not honor God in his success. His life is driven by the narrow quest for revenge on those responsible for his suffering. Joseph, on the other hand, despite past wounds, rather than use everything God's now given him as leverage for a personal vendetta, refuses to waste God's blessing on selfish pursuits. Instead, by cultivating forgiveness and gratitude, the blessing of God on Joseph's life can have the multiplying effect it was designed to have. Now, there's, there's a whole sermon in that, but uh, that's next week. For now, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. And when Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians. Then Pharaoh, king of the Egyptians, told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, the Hebrew, the descendant of Abraham, and do what he tells you. Multi-ethnic dimension, as God's purpose and blessing aren't bound, culturally important lesson for us. And, and it just, it keeps going. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and he sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And then all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. And scene. <laughs> You'll have to uh, get the rest of the story next time. But wow, huh? Genesis. It's quite a book. I can't tell if you're excited or not, but I'm going to keep going. Genesis, you, you get, uh, let's see, God makes a world. Humans mess it up, destroy it. What's God going to do? God chooses a family. Joseph gets kicked out of it. What's he going to do? Where's it going? What will come of it? Well, through a long and winding and often puzzling journey, God never forgets the promises he made. And Joseph never forgets what he was made for. As a result, all the world was blessed. Can we, can we make that a formula? Does that work? Okay. When God remembers the promises that God made, and God's people remember what they were made for, blessing is brought to the world. Does that hold up? Think that works? I think so. I think, that's, I think that's what we see when, when we look here, actually. Um, we'll, we'll close with this. All right, I said this was the letter V. It's not really. It's just V-shaped. Uh, all right. He, he, here's what we see. This is the pattern 
in the Joseph story. He, he suffers faithfully, goes down to the pit, and then God vindicates him and raises him up and accomplishes God's purpose. Now, a lot of you would be bored, but I would be quite interested in studying this same pattern in Exodus and so many of the Psalms and the suffering servant in Isaiah, Daniel, and most notably, Jesus, who made the descent to the grave and came out victorious to provide the ultimate blessing to the world and the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. That's what the grand upper story of the Bible is driving to. There's a lot we can say about this, but let's land here. Uh, the Bible wants us to recognize in this something hopeful and instructive. Hopeful and instructive. Uh, the, the Joseph story is uh, the first level fulfillment of God keeping his promise to Abraham. And God pulls it off in a fashion that, okay, when we say against all odds, I don't think we ever mean something this bonkers. What we got in Genesis is God saying, look, I made a promise. And I meant what I said. It may look like I'm in a pickle. Like all the circumstances are stacked against the good that I want and that the world needs. In fact, you, right now, you may look around and say, what's the world coming to? And you don't have answers and you're living through history and nothing about your life is the great thing that you want it to be. Well, Genesis first and then the rest of the Bible, not least the resurrection of Jesus, is attempting to give us hope that no matter what it looks like down here, and we know it's ugly sometimes and it's hard and it is anything but great, God says, I'm not intimidating because nothing can stop me from bringing about the blessing I intend from even the most unlikely situation from even the most unlikely people against all odds and accommodating human agency to make choices and within real history God is faithfully and patiently and graciously working to bless and give life as only God can do. We, we see it with Joseph. We see it with Jesus. We saw it in Sarah's story, week one of this series. And we have every reason to be hopeful and confident that that's what God is doing right now in 2020. We retell the history so that we can have the strength to live through whatever history we're making right now down here in the pit. There's a hopeful word. And finally, for today, there's an instructive word. The church was formed after Jesus did this. The New Testament was written not only to help the church remember the promises God made and kept, but also what God's people were made for. It testifies, you've been blessed with the life that is truly life through the grace of God in Christ. Now, go be a blessing. The story's not over. 2 Corinthians says God is making his appeal to a hurting world through us. We're God's ambassadors. How will the world know who we represent if we bring the blessing God intends? Ephesians says we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good work. We were made to serve the world. Love God, love people, serve the world. That's our calling. Philippians, it gives this V-shaped life of Jesus as the model for how we relate to one another. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That doesn't matter if you got fame or status or success in the world's eyes. That's not the goal of a great life. If, if Jesus is your Lord, you, no matter how successful you are, you elevate others above yourself. 
You don't look to your own interests, but each of you look to the interests of others. That was the ethic of Joseph when he rose to the top. He stewarded the interests of a whole nation on God's behalf in service to the world. Are you a person of means? Have you been blessed? Have that same approach. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, up here with God in the upper story, he had the royal robe and the ring and the chariot, but, but look at his model. He didn't consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't just, you know, recirculate that for his own gain. I mean, you don't want to be breathing recirculated air right now, right? So don't, don't spend all your time and money and talent for only your own sake. Rather, Jesus came down into the lower story, made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Never mind his success. He was made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue would acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want to have a great life? <laughs> Be faithful with success by humbling yourself. The Lord is your instruction. Humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord and he will lift you up. Never as an end in itself, but so that you can more effectively do what you were made for and serve the world. So may the example of Joseph and the example of Jesus be instructive for you. Give your time to serve God's world-blessing mission through the church. Many who are serving before in formal roles, they can't do that right now. So we've been daring to love in all kinds of creative and different and ad hoc ways. We've got to keep doing that. And as we try new things as a church, we come back together physically and start programs. It'll take people who are ready to serve. Give to God's world-blessing mission through the church. The generosity of this church has sent thousands of dollars to meet real needs through our global partners in Kenya and India and the Dominican Republic. Like in ancient Egypt, there's been dire needs for food. God has provided through us. What a privilege. We've done the same thing through the sharing table locally and through a bunch of food giveaways at our campuses because people believe in the mission of God through this church and they continue to give out of whatever God has given them to steward, however much or little. That's what happens when we remember our history as God's people. When we remember our Lord Jesus Christ. When we remember what we were made for. We don't let suffering make us forget. We don't let success make us forget. We live a life, a great life, faithful through it all. God is faithful through it all. And blessing is brought to the world.